0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, hey, good morning everyone. My name is Alex. I am the lead pastor here at New Life Community Church. In case you're wondering why people are clapping, that doesn't happen every week, but this is my first week on the job. And so, as a lot of you guys know, uh, my dad started this church back in 1989. And last week, he had the baton handoff of leadership. And so, I took the baton. And so, in some regards, this is my first uh, Sunday to preach in this new role. And uh, as the new guy on the job this week, I thought, you know what I need to do? Everybody wants to be their own boss so I'm going to take a couple days off, (laughs) and I'm going to get out of town, and I actually did this, and so it was my wife's birthday, so I had a great excuse, and the grandparents were awesome. They're like, we'll come watch the kids, and I was like, yes, and so I was like, let's get out of town, and then we're like, but things cost a lot of money, so I said, but we can still get out of state, so we went to Overland Park, (laughs) And we got a hotel for the night. And we found gift cards that people had given us. So we went to Olive Garden. We found some movie tickets. We hadn't been to a movie in I don't know how long. And so we had a great time getting away and just the two of us enjoying some time together and celebrating my wife's birthday. And so it was a special week. um, But my wife, she, she looked at me and she said, you know, for my birthday, I would like to go to the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum. Now, I've been married for 12 years, and I've always wondered when that moment in time would come in which I would look at my wife and say, wow, you've gotten old folks, the answer is her 34th birthday when she asked to go to the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum. And I was like, hasn't everybody gone to that who grew up in Kansas City? Like, isn't that everyone's field trip? Like, we all have, like, a memory of that, I would think. And you grew up, Missy, here. I was like, surely you've been there. She's like, I've never been there, and I want to go. And so, um, so we went, we went, we went to Independence, Missouri, um, and it was the highlight of Independence, Missouri. And so we we, we went there, and, and and, and it wasn't free. They charged us money to get in there, which was disappointing for me. Um, but we, we got there, and, and, and of course, you learn things as an adult going to a museum than you do as a kid. As a kid, you just kind of go along with the flow. But, but it had been over 20 years. They'd completely renovated the place, and, and I learned some things. So the museum, in case you didn't know, opened in 1957, And it was not paid for by the government like a lot of presidential uh, libraries are today. In fact, when Harry S. Truman left the presidency, he did not have a uh, security detail. He didn't have income. All he had was whatever savings he had accumulated before he took office. And so he needed to find a job. So he said, you know what I want to do? I want to create a space for people to learn about democracy, to learn about government. And so he began to solicit funds, and it cost $1.7 million at that time. And they raised that by getting 17,000 people to donate. No donation was bigger than $50,000. I was like, wow, this is pretty, pretty incredible. And so uh, when you walk into this place, you learn things because it kind of timelines his term if presidency. And in case you don't know, uh, there were these two big world wars that took place. Uh, And so, during the second one of those big world wars, uh, there was a president by the name of FDR who had just taken his, like, fourth term as the president, and who he selected for his vice president was Harry S. Truman from Independence, Missouri. He was a Missouri senator. And so, 82 days into his next term, FDR died. He had a cerebral hemorrhage. And so, um, Harry Truman and him had only met together two times privately, and now, all of a sudden, Harry Truman is our president during the Second Great World War. Wow. Things I didn't know, and all of a sudden, I'm learning. Um, in the same month that FDR died, Harry Truman became president. Later that month, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. And we come to find out that Truman knew nothing about the Manhattan Project or the atomic bomb. And so there were letters being written and memos saying, hey, we should meet together. I should tell you about what's going on. And so all of a sudden, he's learning about what this great weapon is. And less than four months after taking the presidency, Truman's making this controversial decision to drop the atomic bomb and essentially end World War II. Now, these are things, I'm going to be honest, as I left the museum, I never knew, like, I maybe had heard them at one point in time, but I'd never put all that together. And and I found myself kind of reflecting on just everything that had transpired in the past. And I realized that my world had been shaped by a man who was born in 1884 and the decisions that he made as a president. And, And had it not been, this is the big thing, if it had not been for that library and museum, serving as a memorial, as a place of remembrance, I would have continued to walk in ignorance day after day of the blessings that I have because of the decisions of people before me. So in the Bible, here's the thing. In the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Torah, we read that God often required his chosen people who were the Israelites, the Jews, to hold festivals and feasts. And they had these in order to remember the great things God had done for them in their past. And maybe you've heard of some of these things. There was the Feast of Trumpets. There was the Day of Atonement, which on your calendar is Yom Kippur. You're like, what is that? That's what that is. There was the Feast of Pentecost, and probably most familiar to you was the Passover, These were all feasts. These were all things that were on the calendar so that they would stop and remember what God had done in their past. They were memorials like our libraries and museums are today to remember what had taken place. Now, after Moses died, he was the author of the Torah. There was a man by the name of Joshua. Everybody say Joshua. Joshua Joshua took over. He was the new leader. He was the next guy up. And there's this incredible story I want to share with you in Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 16. As Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land. God had promised there's a great land for you. It's full of milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. I need you, Joshua, to lead the people there. And so they're all trooping along. Everything's going good until they hit this body of water. So check this out. The Lord told Joshua today... I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses, your predecessor. Now give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. If you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, that represented the presence of God. Wherever the Ark was, God was with them. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, Which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth will lead you across the Jordan River. God's presence is going to go before you. Verse 12. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. They had like these 12 divisions in this group of people. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream. And the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan River, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. It couldn't just be a regular river. No, it's got to be overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam which is near this other town that I don't know how to say. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. This is a pretty incredible story. Uh, In case you didn't know, this is your Bible story for the day. So you had the Israelites, they've got to cross over this body of water to get to the land that God has for them. God's presence is going ahead of them, but they just can't do it. The Jordan River, it's not like a lake. This isn't like a small body of water that they're crossing. This is a flowing river. Uh, It's estimated that over 3 billion cubic feet of water flowed through this river annually until about the 1950s when they started to construct some dams to try to use the water differently. And in 1406 BC, when this story is taken place, guess what? The span bridge had not been invented. There was no getting over the river. And so in verse 15, we notice that it was at harvest season. So normally harvest in this area was for barley. It was during the spring, which means that the river would have been at a flood stage due to the melting snow from the mountains of Lebanon. And so when a river's at flood stage, it means that, man, there's a lot more water moving through with strong currents. If you've ever been down to English Landing Park and you've seen that water moving, I don't know how we're going to get across. And so some people say that this river is probably about 100 feet wide. Some probably argue it might have been wider at flood season. And it was at least 10 feet deep all the way across. And so there's no way to move thousands of people from one side to the other side to get from where they are to where God wants to lead them. It would have been impossible to cross. And, and we know that this was such an impossibility. Some people say, well, maybe 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 there's things going on that would have allowed this to happen. If Jericho, remember the last verse said that they were getting ready to go to Jericho. If Jericho was concerned about this nation crossing over, guess what they would have done? They would have came and stood on the other side of the river with their little swords and their battles, spears, ready to stop them. But they said there ain't no way they're getting across the river. Everybody just have a good night's rest. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> There's no concern. So this is an incredible Miracle. It was impossible for this to happen. And this is why I want you to know. And if you want to take some notes, I always think that's good. God specializes in the impossible. But often He asks us to do the impractical. God specializes in the impossible. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're going through, listen, it is not impossible. There is hope with God. But it's not just going to happen because of Him. He's going to ask you to do something, and it's going to seem impractical. Between the Israelites and the promised land, here's this raging, muddy torrent of water. They don't have rafts. They don't have canoes. How can an entire nation, women, children, supplies, and livestock, not to mention warriors and what gear they have, how can they possibly cross this natural barrier? Like, God could have done a lot of things, right? Like, He could have caused there to be less snow in the winter that landed on the mountains of Lebanon so that by the spring there wouldn't have been as much water. He could have done that, but He didn't do that. That wouldn't have magnified how awesome He is. He could have allowed a cold front to come through. This was me dreaming. I was thinking, how cool to be just a cold storm freezes the river, they walk across on ice. <laughs> God could do anything, right? He could have done that, but that's not what he did. Instead, he didn't do it all for them. There was this act of obedience. Joshua 3, 11 and 13, we just read this. Look, the ark of the Lord, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. And that's so crazy because it happened just like that. And I think everyone recognized in that moment, wow, God is mighty. We should all reverence and worship him. But here's what I want to zoom in on, and this is the focus of the day, because our message today is called Living Stones. It's what happened next, after this incredible miracle moment that crossed over, in Joshua chapter 4, we read this, that when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, and I want you to carry them out and pile them up at the place that we're going to camp tonight. And at the end of the chapter in verse 19, we read this, that the people crossed the Jordan River on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. And it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And then Joshua said to the Israelites, he addressed everybody. He said, listen, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the riverbed right before your eyes. Dried it up until we all had crossed over. And verse 24, get this, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Twelve stones. Twelve stones are set up as a memorial. I don't think there were pebbles. I think that there were stones. I think they're big. They had to set them up. They were significant enough that they remain for generations to come so that children would ask, what is up with those twelve stones? Here was this memorial, this place of remembrance that God instructed to have set up so that the future generations would never forget who God is. So what do the stones represent? The stones represent God's presence in a specific location. They represent his overwhelming might and a reminder for us to fear or to reverence and worship him. And get this, the stones actually enabled future generations to understand and participate spiritually in the crossing of the Jordan River that those 12 tribes had experienced. Future generations who weren't a part of that could look at those stones and know what God had done that provided for them the life that they have today. Man, there's a thanks, there's an appreciation, there's a gratefulness, and it causes us to recognize that God is mighty. And it's a reminder for us to reverence and to worship him. See, today we build memorials and museums and libraries to commemorate events and to remember the things that have happened in our past, but rarely are those memorials ever helping us to remember what God did in our past. We're remembering what people did, what institutions did, what governments did, but so few memorials exist that actually cause us to stop and be in awe of who God is. As I said earlier, this week I stepped into this new role of of lead pastor, And, and I found myself really excited for the future. I hope you are too. I am full of hope and excitement for what we can do together as the body of Christ here in Kansas City to see people who are far from God come into relationship with him. I mean, I'm really, really excited about that. But I've not only been looking to the future, but I've also found myself wanting to be reminded of our past, being reminded of where God has brought us to this place. And in doing so, I I've found some things laying around the church. And and, and so here's what we're going to do, and and maybe you want to jot this down, is that we look back to our past to remember God's faithfulness. That's why we look back. But we look forward to consider how we can trust Him in the future. This is so good. And this is what we're doing today. We look back to remember God's faithfulness, and we look forward to consider how we can trust Him in the future. And so last Sunday... My dad, as he handed me this leadership baton, held up a plaque. He held this thing up. And when he first made this, I was like, why in the world would you spend money to go and have a plaque made? Who has plaques anymore? And why would you keep the plastic on it when you showed everybody? <laughs> I didn't get it. And I was like, what is this about? And so he, he, he made this thing, but then I started looking through the church And and this isn't the first time that he did this. Here are the other plaques. (laughs) They're not even displayed. Nobody even sees them. Nobody knows what they are. But here's here's what I want us to do. And I'm going to invite my dad to to come. Dad, would you come join me on the stage? As I've thought about our church's history, each one of these represents a 12-stone's moment. They represent a moment in which God was present in our past, that God did something, and that to remember that, to remember how God moved so that we can remember God's faithfulness as we look to the future, he created these plaques. These are our memorial stones, and I don't know what they all mean, and I know you don't. You didn't even know they existed. These had dust on them on top of a shelf somewhere in the church. So I've asked my dad to share what these memorial stones mean how did God move in our past and how might that build our faith today as we look at moving into the future so you guys ready to hear some stories (laughs) all right here we go dad here's the first one
1: charter members of new life community church Uh, I think from what pastor Alex is saying I agree with uh, what can you put that back up that last thing The stones, not the stones. We look back. There we go. We look back to remember, but there's a time. It doesn't start with the looking back. There's a time that you have to have faith. There's nothing to look back to if nothing happened. And so the beginning of it is you have to have faith to do something. You believe God said something. In our situation with this, God had spoken to my wife and I, we we've, we've felt. Now listen, people always talk about it. God said something, he you didn't get a phone call. You know, it's not like, and he's like, how do you know it was God? Well, I just know. You hear people talking, I don't know, maybe. But you know, you, you believe this is something, that for me, the way I look at it, is it's something I know I would never have thought up. It was something I didn't want to do. <laughs> so why would I say that, that, no, it's coming from somewhere. And it wasn't from the devil because it was about doing something good for God. So uh, so we believed God had called us to start a church. But we had no money. We had no resource. We had no people. I was determined not to take anyone from any other church to come to our church. We wanted to reach people that nobody else had reached. So we said, okay. So in, in that, we just began... By we we found a little we finally got a bank building who said you can use the basement of our bank to have your church service in, so we did that. But we had no people. I had my family, and uh, my family, and then my mother decided she would come. And my sister said, you know, I've been praying that God. So she felt like it was so, so. When we got a little family gathering, it's like a you know Sunday dinner, and we have church. We put our little real estate sign out, It said, "New Life Community Church, just a little sign like you see. You know? And we put that out in front of the bank at, at uh, nine o'clock and or eight o'clock, and then we took it down at, at noon. and that was it. We, we, that's all the advertising we had. And somehow, some way people came. We didn't have Internet where we could advertise that. We had no money to advertise any, to do anything. People came somehow, and they believed. The church was supposed to happen. We had faith. And these people that are on this plaque right here are people, it's not so much what they did, it's that they are witnesses to what God did. God did something supernatural. In the natural, we went up and set up the chairs at the bank building. Yeah, we knew how to do that. But the supernatural was people came. Not a lot of people But some people. We have on here 18 names of adults who at the end of the first year, we said anybody that comes in the first year, we'd call charter members. So this is from 1989 to 1990, middle of the year. These are those. And so these people, this plaque, these are witnesses as to what God did. People say, yeah, but you, you led them, Pastor. You led the people. I say, Yeah. Who was I following? I was following God. Instead of saying, you know, (laughs) I followed the Lord, it wasn't, I followed the Lord. No, I followed the Lord. He's the emphasis. Amen? Okay, so that's what that one is. I don't know. Phase one, 1993, visionary donors. Okay, So probably 20-some names on there. What happened was at the bank, we had people come. Bank building wasn't very big. All of a sudden, we didn't have any room to grow anymore. We didn't have enough people to get out of there and go someplace else, and we didn't have enough room to grow. We were stuck. So in faith, we started. So I had a, a meeting, and I. Uh, I, I'm trying to spend too much time on this, but we asked the people in the church. There were 40 people in the church counting the children and their dolls <laughs> and whatever. We, and we might have counted ears and not noses. I don't know. But anyway, we didn't have, I don't know, 20-some adults maybe. And we said, we've got to get out of here. Let's find some place to go. So everybody started. I said, start looking around. You find a building somewhere that's for, for sale or a church that's gone out of business and that, uh, anything. Guy called me up in our church. He says, Pastor, I'm so excited. I think I, think I found some property we could build a church on. I said, okay, where is it? He says, it's at Berry Road and North Oak. I said, listen, man. That's, they're selling that by the square foot. We couldn't afford that if we had to. We had, we had no money. We didn't have any money. So uh, I called, but he says, well, it's got weeds and everything on it. You know, I said, okay, give me, and I finally got mad. At him, give me the stinking number. Give me the number. And so I called the guy. I said, listen, the guy said, yeah, he was selling by the square foot, like I said. I said, I'm sorry, we're just a little baby church, little baby money trying to find a place to he said well I own some property up on 169 well I'd already checked out 169 I knew how much it cost on 169 it was it was twenty thousand dollars an acre for anything on 169 at that time I like this corridor along here I thought that'd be good between Platte and Clay County anyway the guy says I have some property up there I said oh, okay I said how much he said well I've got it's six thousand acre I said six I said what is it underwater or what he said no no, he said, it's, it's fine. And uh, I, I I got, uh, I have, a, he said, I have, a, I think, I forget what it was now, how many, well, I think it was 23 acres. I said, well, I to, we, we'd have, we just need like five acres, I said, so that would do for us. How much would it be per acre for five? He said, I don't care what you buy, it's, it's still 6000 Well, I said, okay, that's kind of $30,000. But understand $30,000 was a lot of money then, and especially when, nobody had any money. <laughs> it didn't matter what it cost. We didn't have any money. So the guy said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell that, that $30,000. You come up with one third of the money, I will carry you for the other two thirds of it for, at no interest for two years. I said, well, all right. So I got the people just like you. They were here. Some, In fact, some of you were here. And that was the very first Sunday, by the way, that Stan and Susan Nichols came to the church. Uh, and, they, and I said, listen, folks, I had an overhead projector. Oh. I'd, I'd finally sprung for one of them. And I uh, had a drawing of the property and everything. Here you go, folks. We need, by next Sunday, we need $10,000. I don't mean pledged. $10,000 in the offering next Sunday. Now, I'm telling you, nobody had any money. We are just little chickens with nothing. So anyway... They all went home. We came back the next Sunday, and people had emptied out their savings accounts. Guy had a fishing boat, he sold that. Emptied their kids' college funds out, retirement accounts out. They didn't have just everything they had. And at the end of the day, with their pockets turned inside out, $9,300. You say, yeah, it was that close. Well, it didn't matter. We'd already went to every place we could go. That was all it was. So I said, well, listen, folks, don't be discouraged. What a miracle this has been that you would do. This. And so I went to talk to the guy. I said, listen, he was on the phone when I came to his office, and he said, just sit down. So I sat down. He's on the phone. He got the phone. He says, listen, before you say anything, he said, Listen, This property you wanted up here, it's all in house, been platted out in house lots. I can't give you exactly five acres. I'd have to do a lot split, cost a lot of money. I'm not going to do it. 4.9 acres, you'd have to move it down like this. And 4.9 is all I can do. He says, And one third of that would be uh, 9,300. <laughs> I hadn't told him 9,300. He told me. It's a miracle. It's amazing. Okay, with that in mind, we come over, we buy this property. It's just weeds and junk. And so we come over here and put a sign up, future home of, <laughs> we're for real now. Uh, you know, but that's all. We have no money. We just spent all our money. But we have to come up with money to buy. And out of nowhere, I have, I have an uncle who was very wealthy who was not interested in doing anything to help me. <laughs> I had another uncle who was the stingiest guy I've ever known who said, I talked to my wife and we'd be willing to loan you the money to build a building on that property. I came to the people in the church and I said, here's the deal, folks. We've got to have, and these people in a vision, believing the vision that we were going to do this, said they would, and they pledged to give enough money to pay the payment on that building. We built this building that you're sitting in right here, this phase of it. And it's not that these people. When we wrote the name on this plaque, so we can talk about. You want to know what happened here? Talk to one of these people. They witnessed it. We did the natural. God did the supernatural. These walls that you're seeing right here—they didn't used to be here. That's faith you can touch. You want to touch faith? There it is. It was nothing. Okay, that's 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 that one. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I know that was slow. That, that's, that's fine. Okay, this is this is quick one. We're getting ready to. uh It's, it's now. That was two thousand three. This is two thousand seven. We've decided we're going. I feel like that God is saying we need to build onto this facility. We're not having. That's what's keeping people from coming. The church is too small. The building looks like nothing. Nobody even notices us. There was a big church that had a big split that we knew. It was horrible that they had a big split, but they had almost a thousand people left that church. And it was real near here, and not one of them came to visit our church. Not even one of them considered us. Well, I was ticked off. So anyway... They didn't. I understood. I wouldn't have noticed this little church either. So we're going to build on, and we're going to have size. People are going to come. So, folks, good play. But what happened was we brought, we had we owned a house right behind the church. We'd been renting it out, but we owed eighteen thousand dollars on it. We needed to get rid of that before we did anything else. And so I said we're going to come up with eighteen thousand dollars on March eighteenth, eighteen on the eighteenth. Yes. And it was about as many people as here. Here. Same thing. Next Sunday, bring your money in the offering. What are you going to have? Somebody says, How could you, how could you get up in front of everybody and say that we're going to get it? I said, we're going to get this. I know we are. I was saying stuff like that. They said, How could you do that? I said, Well, because I believe God's in this. So that's what we're going to do. We'll see. And if not, then God's not and we won't do it. Next week, short, long story short, came up. Everybody gave their money. We counted it up: thirty nine thousand, eight hundred and three dollars. Not eighteen thousand. Over twice. It was a miracle. It was amazing. But the thing is, you say, so what? This is all. This is is people that test can testify. Yeah, they gave, but they saw it. They were here. They watched it happen. Get the next one. Guess we gotta go quick. Because the next one is is really exciting because this is when we said we're going to build the building, $1.2 million. We had 76 people in the church. That's counting the children and the dolls again. This is in addition to what you normally give. Would you pledge to make a building payment? I found out what it would cost to pay a $1.2 million loan payment. And the people here said, we believe in this, even though there was no reason to believe. They just believed that God said this. If the pastor's leading you, we believe that you're hearing the Lord. Good. And I was doing it because I believed I was hearing the Lord. And these people witnessed. We built the building. We got a loan for the building. Nobody could believe we even got the money. It was a miracle. But God Because of our faith, the faith first, we trusted God. He was faithful. Amen? And because of that, we can testify to the greatness of God, not the greatness of these people, These or me. Listen, I would have never picked me to be a pastor in the first place. I know me. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I trust the Lord completely. I do not trust myself much at all. I'm not the pastor now. He is. I don't have the confidence to tell you what I think God would have us do. I really don't. I have some ideas, but I... God's talking to him. Good? And the, the, fa- the final one, and So he, and he did. He gave me a hard time. What did you make this thing up? This is called visionary voters. This is the people. That were at the here can you hold it, at the special business meeting a month ago. I felt just like I did before that God spoke this it wasn't something I'm out of gas or can't do this anymore. No, the church to go forward, and I believed that God had called Alex to be that person. When we had a meeting with all these people came, the, the, these members were there, and we voted for that. We weren't voting whether he should be the pastor or not, not really. All we were doing was confirming what God had said. God already said it. It wasn't anything that we had. We had faith, and because of that, God is being glorified. And right now, once again, it's faith first. God's doing a miracle. He's getting ready to do another major miracle here. Oh, way bigger than those other ones. So, the final plaque. <laughs> I probably never even in a position to, I won't have any money to buy a plaque. <laughs> I won't have the authorization from the pastor to do one because he, like pla- he doesn't like plaques. <laughs> I just sneak it in. Amen. Is that, is that what you want to hear, son? Yeah. Amen. God bless you.
0: Give my dad a round of applause for sharing those things. So we're looking in the Bible. We see that there's these living stones, right? And it's a call to remember what God's done. And we are here as a church. And maybe it's your first time here and you're like, I don't know anything about you guys. You know something now. <laughs> you, you know that God has been faithful and he has seen us through to this place. And there's things that I think we together can celebrate what God's done in our presence. Now, I think we need those things. A lot of people want to say, oh, I can just do church alone. I can just do my podcast. I can just tune in. There's something about being together. That's different. There's something about God's presence and how He works in this space. And and it doesn't make sense and it's hard to articulate, but there's just something about that. And so I want to encourage you to push in here because there are things that God has done, and you don't know when the next miracle is going to come. You don't know when the next thing that God's going to do the impossible. But I believe that God can do the impossible whenever He wants. He's going to ask us to do something that's, you know, impractical, maybe give money, or show up, or invite someone, or be a different kind of person than you've ever been before, he's going to ask you to do something that seems impractical, but God will do the impossible, and I think together we get to celebrate that, but not only should we have these things as a, a team, as a body, but you individually need to have some moments in your life that you can look back on and say, that was a living stones moment. There needs to be some reminders of how God has moved specifically and personally in your life. And the cool thing is is that Jesus, when he was on earth, kind of instituted a way for us to look back and remember God's faithfulness so that we can look forward to consider how to trust him in the future. And what he did is he established something called the Lord's Supper. Communion. And by partaking in this, it is to be a reminder of God's great act of salvation that came through Jesus. And it's an opportunity for us to proclaim to our children and others what God has done in our life. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to pass out some communion elements Uh, The way these work, these are little disposable cups that are a lot of fun to open, and it's not about the element, it's about what it represents. And so I want you to go ahead and get those as they pass those out. But I just want to share with you that I believe that God wants to do something great in your life. I think God wants to do something great with us together, and we need to not miss it. We need to be ready for it. And we need to celebrate it and walk through the current day miracles. But we can never lose sight that it's all about Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did. We're going to celebrate it this Christmas season that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to come. So that whosoever, man this is an invitation to all ages, all ethnicities, anyone and everyone, That if they would believe, whosoever would believe might not perish but have everlasting life, life without end. And even Jesus himself said that he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. So this morning we're going to partake of communion And this is an opportunity for us to reflect back on what God has done in our life. And and you may be here, and you may be holding this communion element and be like, I don't know if God's really done anything in my life. I don't even know if I'm all in on this Christian thing. Well, here's, here's what I would say to you, is that I do believe that God's been involved in your life, whether you've recognized it or not. God's been trying to draw you to him. God's been so kind to you and gracious to you. God's protected you. God's kept you. God's been present. You maybe never noticed him before. But you're still breathing. You're still here. And God has been faithful to sustain you to this point, and he's been doing it so that you would say, God, I trust you with my life. I give you my life. And so if you say, I don't have one of these memorial moments, I don't have a living stones moment, let today be that day. November twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, the day that you gave your heart to Jesus and said, "God, I'm all in. I'm stepping over the line of faith." It become a day that you would celebrate. It become your spiritual birthday, the day that you received new life. Could today be that day? If you want to make that step, I just encourage you to open up those communion elements and partake with us as we do this. Now, ushers, you left me out. I need one. <laughs> hook me up. Now, come hook up your old pastor. Here's what we have. There's a little cellophane top. If you pull that back, it'll let go of the little wafer that's in there. Then you'll find a tab. If you pull that, that'll open up the juice. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, just hours before he would, would die on a cross, he, he got together with his disciples and he instituted this, this living stones moment for us. And he took a a loaf of bread that was on the table there and he blessed it and he broke it. And he told his disciples, he said, this is going to represent my body, which is broken for you. They didn't even know what that meant. They didn't know what was going to come in the hours ahead. But he sensed what God was calling him to do. And so as we prepare to partake of this little wafer, this represents Jesus' body that was broken and beaten so that we might have a forgiveness of sins. It's a remembrance of what he did 2,000 years ago. And in a moment, we're going to take the cup also, which represents the blood that was shed. I don't even understand it all. Gone to Bible college. But there's something about the shedding of blood that provides a forgiveness, that covers things up. It's been in the Bible since Genesis. Uh, It's been in the Bible all the way to Jesus. We see this idea that there's this blood that covers things, and it... It makes them clean somehow. And so when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, it was to be a forgiveness for every wrong thing that we've ever done. And the ultimate sin that we commit is when we look at God and say, you don't need to be God anymore. I'll be God. And that's when we come to church. We say, God, forgive me for being God in my own life. I choose to let you sit on the throne. And I remember your body, which was broken, and the blood that was shed. Forgive me and wash me clean. So if you would, let's Pray. Jesus, we thank you for these elements. We thank you more so for what they represent. And we thank you that as we partake of these, we know, God, that your presence is here. You are here in this moment. And God, we want to fully participate with you and what you're doing in the world today. And so as we partake of the bread, we are thankful for your broken body. Let's partake. And we're also thankful, Lord for your shed blood that provides a forgiveness of sin and new life. Let's partake of the cup. And would you agree with me in this prayer of thanks? God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross so that we might have a forgiveness of sins, so that we might have a hope for the future. Lord, we can always in faith say that the best is yet to come because until we are in your presence, God, the best is still yet to come. And, God, we believe that the best days that we have are ahead of us, not behind us. We look to the past and remember what you've done, not only for us in this church, but we remember what you did in the Bible times and how you've been faithful. And, God, we can even look on our own lives, maybe back to a previous time that which maybe we experienced your presence. We experienced a miracle in our body, a healing. Maybe there was a sign. Maybe there was a wonder. But, Lord, even if we don't have that story, the fact, Lord, that you would save us, is a miracle, and we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done, God, that we want to enter our future with great hope and anticipation for the future. Prepare our hearts for it. Stir us. Make us excited, Lord, for the things that excite you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The future may be exciting, or it may be frightening to contemplate, But we can always trust God's faithfulness and his love for us, no matter what difficult challenges we may face. And the blessing of being a part of a church is you don't have to face it alone. Would you stand with me? Something we're going to do in the weeks to come is we're going to end each service with a priestly blessing that we find in the Bible. This is something that if you came from maybe a more liturgical church, uh, maybe you've heard this before. But this is found uh, in numbers, and we'll go ahead and put it up here so you can see it. Inside of this, and maybe we'll unpack it in the weeks to come, are six blessings. And what I want for you each week as we dismiss, as we prepare to leave this place, is to receive these blessings. And so, um, today, would you do this for me? Maybe it's a little weird. Would you just open your hands we're almost in the Christmas season, and I'm gonna. This is a blessing that I want to give. This is a blessing that we're going to invoke upon God. This is an invocation of his blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and Give you peace. We receive these things in full through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifecasey.com.